Hi, this is the Social Jello with Angelo show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo show. What's up? And welcome to another episode of Social Jello with Angelo Conversations with a Backfist. Um, apologies ahead of time. I'm wearing a green shirt. I have a green screen in the background, so my shirt's going to flash in and out black. So for anybody watching, um, I'm a professional and I know better than to wear green, but I did it anyway. So there is. I'm here with Larry Gordon. Uh, Larry Gordon is a Kaju Kimball black belt and Full disclosure, he's also he comes from my circle of Kaju Kimball guys. So you know, I'm not biased or anything, but I do like to try to get some of the people I trained with on the show. And this is one of those rare opportunities where I get to do that. Um, a little bit of a background. So this is gonna be a little bit of a different episode for anybody watching. Uh normally I interview people I've never met and I have no idea what their background is. But for Larry, I call him coach, even though Larry jumped into Kaju Kimball later in in my journey i was already larry what was i was i a purple belt a blue belt when you got there i forgot uh, i think you were purple and you tested for your blue the same time i was a white belt because i ronnie and i just joined uh professor ronnie with josh and Corey, and uh, of course i had you know i had martial arts training for off and on for many years throughout my life um so you tested for your blue belt uh, the day we were white belts and we all tested together. Okay. So I was a blue, I tested for blue and um, Larry had a wrestling background. So he's the one who brought in a lot of the grappling. We had some grappling before Larry showed up. Uh, I call him Sifu professor. He knows how I am with, with titles bad, but he's <laughs> 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 so, so, professor now um he had a he had a little bit of background in judo so we had a few judo throws but once larry came in we started doing uh going over double legs single legs because he coaches wrestling so that's how i met larry now what we're going to do for all of you that have never met larry we're going to start going back so that's why so i normally don't introduce my guests this way but larry gets a special introduction <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> so, so going into the past though so larry i know you've mentioned before you had a different and i know we've talked about this off camera um but let's just start from the very 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 beginning what's the first martial art and i include wrestling in this i know some people yeah. think martial arts they only see it as people wearing geese but i include anything that includes anything that includes any type of fighting or grappling even if it's sport oriented um what's the first martial art that you started training in so back in like in the kind of mid to late 60s my first uh martial arts that i began training in was tang sudu um down in la mesa california um i i trained there in the fifth and sixth grade um in when i was in elementary school a lot of the kids that i went to school with a lot of kids uh dads were um, law enforcement were uh, military so boxing was a big thing and I never really got into the boxing thing of it but you know back in the day everybody scrapped you were always fighting so um, when I was I usually I you know I, I held my own but I got beat up a lot but 
I wasn't really interested in boxing. So my mom actually somehow through a friend, she met a guy that was, had just opened a studio. And, and to be honest with you, he's literally the only, I think he's the only instructors whose name I literally cannot remember to this day now. Um, but he was a really cool guy, but I trained under him. I got, I, I went from white belt just to a yellow belt. I trained with him for about a year and a half, I think through the, almost through the seventh grade. And then I, uh, I moved from living with my mom and came to Escondido and moved in with my dad. And then I didn't really train much again until my mid, my late teens, early twenties. And then I got into the American Taekwondo Association, uh, where we had, they had a store or they had a, a studio in Escondido. Um, and I trained under, uh, uh, what was he? He was, um. I believe he was ninth Dan at the time. Uh, his name was Chuck Hawkins. He's the one that ran the store. And then, of course, he brought in several uh, instructors while I trained there. I hold a, I hold a yellow belt in Tang Sudu, and I hold a, uh, a blue belt, three red stripes in Taekwondo. Then I, again, then I quit, and I... Didn't train a lot, but I did a lot of, uh, I got back into wrestling. That's one thing I forgot too. Um, as I, as a kid, I, my first real, uh, combat training was in wrestling when I trained, my uncle originally was a wrestler and some of his friends that I knew back in La Mesa back in the day, um, they had a wrestling club that we would go learn that we would train in. And then when I moved to Escondido, I joined the wrestling team that we had at junior high school here at Orange Glen Junior High under Coach Maynard. Um, so I was involved in wrestling and then off and off, off and on through martial arts um, pretty much through the rest of my life. Like I said, then I got into the, about my mid twenties, I stopped training in Taekwondo, um, got back into wrestling and grappling and doing some, you know, kind of backyard fighting kind of stuff, like, you know, and of course your typical mid twenties life running amok on you. So, um, you know, and then of course, um, I, you know, I got back, I really got back into the wrestling scene when Josh and Corey, uh, got of age and got into middle school and into high school and wanted to know like what they should start doing for sports. And of course, the first thing I told them, was go go out for wrestling and uh you know the within josh's first year i had talked to a few of his coaches they found out some of my background and i was asked to come up and start just kind of being a you know a walk-in coach kind of helping the kids started attending practices and lo and behold here i am now 22 years later coaching high school wrestling and you know it's kind of where I'm at now. I met you guys in around 2007. Um, and that's when I found out about Kaja Kembo. And of course, after joining Kaja Kembo um, and, uh, you know, training with you guys and all the people that we've met, you know, through the Abad system and, uh, you know, Alan and his family and, you know, meeting the Kinjis and, uh, the martial arts experience I've had since then has always left me wishing 
I would have found Kaju Campbell way back in the 70s. <laughs> you know what I mean? So let, let's rewind here a little bit. Sure. Um, I want, because I, I, I know a lot about your background, but one thing I don't know, and maybe you can answer this. So you said your your uncle ran a wrestling club. How old were you when, when this happened? I was grade school. Grade school. So you were elementary? Third, fourth, fifth grade. Yeah. And then... And then yeah. do you do you remember what style of wrestling they were doing? Uh, at the time, so at the time, um, I was learning folk style and freestyle, and then of course, um, freestyle. I don't I don't really remember when folk style came into being. I know my first experience with straight folk style wrestling was when I joined the wrestling team when I moved up here at Escondido at the middle at the when i well it was junior high school when i was in school um it is now what they call middle school um and we actually had wrestling pe and then the school i had the school i attended at orange glen which is now orange glen elementary um but when it was orange glen junior high coach maynard we had a we held a wrestling tournament inside the school at the end of the year and then we also had meets against uh at the time, we met. We wrestled against Del Dios, and we wrestled against Grant Junior High School, which is now Mission Middle School, and you know ourselves. And then at the end of the at the end of the, can't remember, I think it was like eight weeks of PE. We had our own wrestling tournament. Grant Middle School is where I got jumped for the first time. Yeah, and then, and I, then, Del, and then Del Dios was well. Del Dios was the school that I ended up at, and, and uh -huh. I ended up um, after I got jumped. Um, I've told the story before. That's how I ended up getting into martial arts. And then later I ended up getting transferred over to Del Dios because Del Dios, by the time I came around, that's where they sent all the bad kids. So like if you got kicked yeah. out of every other middle school, like didn't matter if you were in our town or not, kids that got kicked uh -huh. out from San Marcos would end up in Del Dios. It was like the last place they went to before they moved them over to Juvie. Oh, yeah yeah well it's, I, I i think it's still kind of got that reputation <laughs> so, so like wait, 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 he's mentioning these schools these are not i don't know how it was back then but was it with they were the, 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 the same back then or, or are they a little so bit yeah that side so basically your side of town was like that was where that was the bad side of town <laughs> the west side's always been the west side brother <laughs> Even back in the early 70s. <laughs> well, what's wondering. funny is I was from the Orange Glen side of town, cross town from you guys. And of course, we were, you know, 90% middle class, white, you know, whites. Um, you know, you had a few of the Hispanics, um, you know, and uh, very, very minimal of the, uh, the other races. Um, of course, now it's funny because I've lived in Escondido for the most part. 50 something years now and uh i've seen the dynamic change now your guys' side of town is becoming more the middle class your average family and my side of town in orange Glen is now where everybody goes when they can't be anywhere else and they're the ghetto you know so weird. <laughs> and yeah, that's the high school that used to be where all the problems were is now like we're the better of the three schools in in Escondido. 
Oh man! So, so, so for anyone listening, uh, let me catch you up here because I don't, I don't, I don't want this to do like an inside. We don't know what the fuck these guys are talking about. This yeah. Conversation. <laughs> so Escondido is located in San Diego. It's part of North County, San Diego. So San Diego City is closer to the border. If you go a little more north, um, thirty minutes out of the city, you have this area called North San Diego, and that's where Escondido is located. Um, so. I'm thinking about all this. You said you mentioned folk style wrestling, and I always I like to break down the different rules of different martial arts for people who don't follow that style. Mm-hmm. And I've heard I've heard this story before, but I, I'd rather hear it from you. You mentioned folk style wrestling. What are the rules of folk style wrestling? Well, so I'll give you that first. Like, I, and I know I know probably a good majority of our Kaju Kembo ohana and you know all over your 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 uh your podcast and obviously you know it's all over the world everybody knows there's three styles of wrestling you have your your roman greco you have your freestyle which is what you see in the olympics okay along with the greco roman folk style is all you see in the united states that was america's version because and there's a lot of pros and cons about it. You, it's not recognized in the international scope of wrestling. Um, it's literally only used in the United States, although many of your Olympic champions and your world champions and all, they come from a folk-style background. Um, it's basically, so folk-style one of the biggest differences, one of the first biggest rules you'll see is there's no, you cannot lock hands. In freestyle, you are allowed to lock your hands at any time. Uh, that's how you do turns, takedowns, um, you know, everything. Um, in folk style, you have to, upon getting a takedown, you have to literally immediately go from a hand lock position or, you know, however, whether it's fingers or, you know, the butterfly grip, um, you have to go from there to here. You have to immediately let go. As soon as you touch the mat, you have to let go of your hands. Um, you cannot, um, it, you, you have to move side to side. You cannot stay in one position for very long. You get called for stalling. There's... Um, you know, there's action. It's, you know, freestyle has action too. They want constant movement. Um, basically what happens though with folk style, they will penalize you if you're in a stalling position. You get two, you get two warnings and then you give up a stalling call, you get an extra point. In freestyle, if you do not continue action in three to five seconds, they will stop action. They stand you back up into a neutral position and you start over. And if you're if you constantly get caught in a in a what they call a, a, it's like a stalling position or or what you what they call passivity uh, position, you're not pushing the subject. They'll warn you. And if they warn you twice, they you the other guy gets a point. So they want to see constant, you know, movement. Then. Um, there's the the scoring the scoring is different um 
in uh, in freestyle, rolling your opponent across his back scores you points. Um, rolling an opponent across your back in 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 folk style will not score you points. You have to hold them in a position with their back exposed in order to start getting uh, what they call near fall points or back points. Um, the and I, from what I understand, I guess the scoring is actually changing a bunch this year. Uh, at the college level and high school level. Um, and I actually haven't gotten the newer ones, but you hold your, you take a guy to his back and hold him in a position there for more than a two count where the referee will wave his hands in a two count. You get an extra point on top of the two points. Now, if you get a, if you hold him exposed for more than, I believe it's a three count, you get what's called an exposure point. So now you can get up to four points. And if you get a count of one, two, three, four, five from the referee, you get a total of five points. So whereas before you would get a, a five count would get you a three near fall points. Um, any exposure and a hand swipe would get you two points. Now there's an exposure point where you can actually score an extra point. And so you could actually even come out of there scoring was six points. So once you hit the six points, you win, or is it one of those things where you oh, no, no, you have you to accumulate win. the points and you get the most. The you keep going until wins. you, in folk style, the match is over when it's called a tech fall. If you get to 15 points ahead, okay. um, there is a, you get, if you beat by beat somebody by one point to five points, it's considered a minor um if you get six points or five points or over it's a major um and then this goes towards the uh, team point scoring is all it does um is where it's mostly used at um and then of course if you get eight points or more that's considered a major decision and then of course uh pin is the most points you know that gets you six points tech fall is five points Major is four points, and then the rest is three points. So if I'm understanding this correctly, and how long are the matches? Uh, they are three, three. And in high school, it's three two-minute periods um, from, the ref from the blow of the referee. Each period is started with a coin toss um, or a number draw or whatever. Um, and then so there, so you start out neutral on your feet. Um, the second period is started. It, you get your choice depending on if you win your toss or not. Um, you can start out in a referee's position, down position where basically for sake of just being quick about it, you're on your hands and knees. Um, and then the other, the other wrestler takes a position on your back, one knee's on the mat, one knee's behind you. Hand across the belly, hand on the elbow. Referee blows the whistle. You start from there. Um, you you can take the top position or the bottom position, or you can choose to start on your feet neutral. Third period comes, the other guy gets his choice. If they if it ends in a draw, it goes to a fourth period, one minute overtime, and then it goes into sudden death. Basically, you get thirty seconds. Each each man gets a choice, top and bottom. You either have to score. The other guy gets the chance to score. If he doesn't score, um, you win. Uh, if he scores and it's still tied, you go to a sudden death. If 
if basically if you're on bottom, you're on top, he's on top. If you get up, get away, you win the match. If he keeps you from getting away, he wins the match. So it sounds like for for anyone who might, I, I can keep up with this. <laughs> so far, yeah. I, I'm, I'm there. I, I'm following everything you just said. I, I understand what you're saying. For non-grapplers, um, from from my and even like for someone, and again, I I, I don't want to go, I don't want to take up too much time talking about myself, but like, I come more from a jujitsu submission grappling background. So like, yeah, yeah. Looking what you're talking about though, it sounds like set six to seven and a half minutes of nonstop go 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 go. Oh, it's, go. yeah, it's you can't, you, yes. like you said, you can't stop, you can't stall, which is in jujitsu. That's all. Well. They'll call you on it a little bit. Um, and I did some catch wrestling out here and they'll call you on they'll call you they'll call you out if you start stalling and they'll make you if you do too much stalling, they'll stand you back up. Um and yeah. the judges, the point system isn't as sophisticated. I'll just put it that way. Because these guys right. are just like they're they're mostly MMA guys and they're they they're I'm still very I have a lot of questions about how their point system works and whether there is one, but it's like, yeah, you the points, the point system sounds a lot more sophisticated. So you actually have a certain amount of points. You're racking points, racking points. I'm guessing because it, you have to have 15 points over your opponent. There isn't a lot of matches unless the guys, unless it's like a complete mismatch, there isn't a lot of matches. It's probably, it sounds like it's close the whole time you're fighting for those points and you're keeping those points together. It's just like every time you slow down, you get penalized, so these two guys are just moving, moving, or the two women, or whoever's whoever the players are. Yeah, they're just going, going, going. Well, I mean, rounds for two minutes yeah. at a time. Is, is you that, you can have you can up? have two really good wrestlers in there, but if you've got one guy that's say, for instance, is really good at tilting, um, he gets a really tight lock, you know, a gut wrench and a wing, uh, pins an arm, and he he's able to keep turning you to your back and getting a five count. I mean, he gets a two-point takedown. He gets exposure points. He gets three points. He he might change and he might go the other way. You, you, right now, the way the rules, it's like you can't keep turning a guy. You actually have to break the move, go to a different move to score another point. But if he can keep turning you to his back, he can rack up 15 points in 30 seconds. And you might have another guy that's really good at just doing takedowns and cutting loose and take you down, take you to your back, score two, score four let you back up, take you down again. That guy can score quick. A good match yeah. is probably going to be, you guys are going to kick each other's butt for six and a half minutes or more, six to seven minutes and just be, you know, it'll be, it might wind up a, a two to one match. It might wind up a three to one. It might wind up a three to, you know, it's so on, a good on, match is going to be close. On average, how long do these matches, for you, you coach them. So how, on average, how long do you think these things last? Have you seen well, it depends. If the guys are both, if it's an equal match and they're banging in each other, I've had matches go like where it came down to like you had to get away or you got to get up. I've had guys win by, you know, doing that. And once you get into like double overtime, you've now been beating on each other for close to 10 minutes. Oh, and you're exhausted. You know, you got seven minutes of just grinding takedowns, you know, that, all that. Then you got another minute, you know, trying to ride a guy and he's cutting away. And if he gets out, then you got to try and take him down. And then he gets a chance to do it to you. And then if it's still tied, you got to go that last, you know, 30 second round. You got 30 seconds to get away or you don't. And you either win or lose in that 30 seconds. And each each tournament, how many matches do you think a person has? Uh, well, it, 
if you go to an open tournament and there's no CIF rules, um, you can wrestle. It doesn't matter. You can wrestle eight or 10 matches a day. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> if you have to, like some of these bigger tournaments, like the super 32s, which is back, you know, back East. Um, if you go to like the freak show here in Las Vegas, you might be in a 64 man bracket, okay. you know, so you're, you're going to be wrestling for eight, 10 hours and you might wrestle anywhere from you might wrestle three or four matches depending on how many in your weight group but you might wrestle six or seven matches that day and then you got to make it to day two (laughs) wow so you got at least yeah so okay so anybody doing some quick math you're you're gonna be doing a lot of wrestling all right yeah so sorry to everyone for my side side journey into the rules of folk style wrestling but i think it's cool because like we i I'm going through this because we're gonna go back to Larry's story. This is this is where this is what Larry did before he ended up finding us in Kajukembo. So so far in our story, we have Tang Sudo. We have a lot of wrestling. We have folk style wrestling, freestyle wrestling. Now we know what folk style wrestling is for those of you who didn't know. And um, you briefly brushed through your twenties, and then you jumped into when your kids were born. I know, I know you had a turnaround in your life and i'm not gonna go i'm not gonna go into the details of this yeah there's there's a reason there wasn't much going on between the 20s and the 30s but i will (laughs) say that i think what i what i find so amazing about your story is that turnaround like you had a rough patch you pulled through in your 30s you got it all back together again and um and you are who you are now which is i think yeah I think I wish more young men would know about that because a lot of people that have a hard time in their 20s, for whatever reason, sometimes they don't see an exit. They think it's just that's going to be the rest of their life. And for well, somebody, I had two and for kids somebody, and you forget. I had two kids. You forget I was a single father for, for two kids. I raised two kids on my own from ages of three and four. How old were you? So, that How old were you? I was in my early 30s. Early 30s. There you go, single dad, early thirties, right? And you got through it. Yep. You start coaching wrestling, and you end up in Kaju Cambo. So I guess my question that I always ask everyone, because at this point, it's not like you came in fresh. You did Kaju Cambo all your life. Some guys do have that. I don't have that, but some guys that I interview have that. What was your impression of Kaju Cambo as you came in? Uh well. The first time I, the very first class I ever took, um, you remember it was, I hadn't, I had not really trained in a studio in, she's 25 years, maybe. Um, and I walked out of there and of course, you know, I, I had met Ronnie and at the time I'd also met Sifu Mike. Um, we all worked together way back in the day. Um, that's how we met each other at Home Depot. Um, and the first time I came into that class, I literally walked out of there that day after training with all you guys feeling like, where was Kaju Kembo my whole life? Like, why didn't I find this 30 years ago when I was a young guy? It's one of those, it was one of those epiphany moments where you feel like, man, what, what might this have changed in my life? Not that I would ever change anything, you know, because I'm happy where I went. I'm happy where I came from. 
There's that part. Would I change a lot? Probably. Would I want to? Probably not, because it would not, I would not be who I am today. But I literally, from the minute that first day in that first class, um, I had wished I had found Kajukembo. Like, as I said, way back in the 70s, I would have never left it. And so you you came and like I said, you, you came in, you already came in with some striking, you came in with some grappling. What what in particular about Kajukembo stood out to you? Because you already were exposed to Tang Sudo, you were exposed to Taekwondo, and you were also a lot of wrestling. So what exactly when you were looking at Kajukembo specifically kind of stood out to you as oh, this is this is what I like and this is why I like it? Uh it was the Ohana feeling, the family feeling. Like literally from the first day, I'm well, I mean, and I I had known you guys for a while, um, but I decided Corey had actually been training with uh, Sifu Andrew Castillo's uh, son a little bit because uh, his son Zeke was one of Professor Ronnie's students at the time. Um, so Corey had mentioned wanting to train and I knew that I had been wanting to get back into training and, you know, I had always told Ronnie, you know, I'd like to get back into training. So there was that finally that moment where, you know what, I remember telling him, I'm like, Hey dude, I'm coming to class tonight. He was like, okay. And I remember when we started training and we were sitting there and we were doing our pre-class stretching. And I remember Ronnie was giggling because he could not believe like, Larry was in his class. Like he was looking at me in the back and we're stretching out. And he's like, oh my God, I cannot believe Larry Gordon is training in my class. <laughs> I remember him saying that. Remember that? <laughs> and from that moment on, dude, it was just, it was, it's been, you know, it's probably been the, one of the greatest, well, it is one of the greatest things in my life. I only... It's one of those few times in my life I wish I would have found something sooner. And what I think is cool, and I'm, I know I'm just, I, I hate to do this, because I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm to, not tooting my own horn, but since you're all part of my like direct Ohana, I feel like I'm, it's like, it's like, it's like I'm bragging about my family, right? Like, oh, you know, my right. dad can beat up your dad. That kind of thing. I'm trying to avoid, I'm trying to avoid that. But what I thought was really cool um, when you came in, and this is something I love about Kaji Kembo is you came in as a white belt, but we we already knew your background in wrestling. We already knew, um, you know, because you were you were already kind of part of our circle because of your son. So we, we already knew where you came from. And I think by this, it was it was less than a month where I can't remember the timeline. Maybe you remember the timeline better than I do, but I know it was it was fairly shortly after you joined. And I remember I remember seafood professor whichever one right want to call it um however you know him as i know ronnie sagiri told me he said hey i'm gonna larry i'm gonna bring him larry's a wrestling coach we're gonna have him do grappling he's he, we're gonna go we're gonna be going over grappling he knows a lot of grappling and he's like, i can't wait to have him in here and start having him work some grappling with you guys that was the first thing he said i don't know when he brought that to you but he brought that to me right away and i was like yes right I, I, that's no that's, that's not like all right cool i can't wait for that and um, it was shortly after he was, a, you were a white belt, right? So I know mm -hmm. like, I, I know other styles 
the way they work, like for example, um, let's just use uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as an example. Um, if you go into a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu place, they can care less about your background. No, um, some places might, I'm not going to make a generalized statement, but most places can care less about what experience you had before you got there. And they're going to start you from the very beginning. And they're not really going to tap, like ask you questions about helping out or anything until you've gone through their system a little longer. Yeah. But, but we already knew you and we knew your background. So we like the way it works in Kajakambo is if someone has a talent and they're talented in, in an area, like in your, your case, you you already had a lot of expertise in grappling. We won't hesitate to bring that person in and immediately start sharing that information with the rest of the class. We're not, yeah. even though you were a white belt, they said, he's a, he's a white, and he used to say that oh, he's a white belt in Kajakembo, but he's, he's a black belt in wrestling. If there was, if there was such a thing, <laughs> so if there was like, such a thing, that's yeah, exactly right. It's, it's yeah. Not, so that, that, and that's how we work. Like we already had mad respect for you from your grappling background. And I still, to this day, call you coach. Cause like a lot of all the, wrestling that i learned was from you later it turned yeah. into what it is now i'll never forget the face a wrestling coach gave me in china when i said he asked me so you have i went to a wrestling class for the first time because i never did wrestling right we always uh -huh. did wrestling we always did the wrestling within a kaja kimball context so you were always like all right if you do punch number one this way you can go for a single leg here you can go for a double leg here and then you can you know and then we go okay cool then we can do a ground and pound we'd immediately grab what we what you had for your wrestling and me would be like, okay, and then I can go do this and I can do that. I can stomp him on the head. I can do these moves. And when I tried to explain this to a guy who never did Kaju Kembo, who only did wrestling, <laughs> he looked at me, he gave me this weird look. And I was like, he's like, that's not wrestling. I'm like, that, the guy who taught me <laughs> was so, a wrestler. <laughs> in lies the problem again, too. I'm a folk style coach with freestyle and Greco, Roman, some background. But in Japan, they only wrestle freestyle. Oh, and that was in China. So that guy was an American. That guy was an American wrestling coach in China. He trained, uh -huh. I forgot who he worked with. I think it was either Michael Bisping. He trained with some UFC fighters out in Canada, and he. Uh -huh. was, by the time I came, well, by, by the time he met me, he didn't know who I was, and I was. He was just asking me my background. Like he was trying to gauge me. He was yeah. trying to gauge me before the wrestling class, and I got I got destroyed in the wrestling class because I never wrestled. Like, yeah, <laughs> I only did MMA. Yeah, you had all, we had only you don't you'd only <laughs> been a few classes, like some basics, you know. Yeah, we 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 went over some basics. I did a lot of jujitsu at that point, but I never really did wrestling. I only did stuff to use it immediately for mma so yeah when we were done he was kind of like but then later we did the mma class he's like oh okay so like <laughs> but for during the wrestling class he said he's like he's like i don't you said you did rest I, I i never i said i told him i never did wrestling i'm telling you we had a wrestling coach that came into our kajra kembo class and we did wrestling for the street and he was like and he's just like i don't get it i've never heard of that that's <laughs> where it's where well. he goes. and i was like oh you know you heard it here first, I guess. <laughs> well, the you guys know, and many of your uh, many of your guests, I've heard everybody refer to it. You know, and and Cjo back in the day, he wanted that like, Kaju Kembo. He doesn't want it to be any one thing. It's about growing and taking it somewhere else. You know, and making it your own. And that that day that uh, Ronnie asked me, Professor Ronnie asked me if I wanted if I would like start showing some of that stuff. Um, he mentioned that, like, because, like, you know, the thing about Kajikembo is 
they there it's not a stagnant art it's you know it's a an art that is meant to grow and everybody you know no matter what system you come from or or who your instructors are everybody has done something to change to make it their own you know so that was kind of where we were at so so going back to our our timeline here you found Kajukembo, you start training in Kajukembo. Um let's uh let's go towards some key moments for you in Kajukembo. When did you because there's a point, and maybe you can answer this better than I can. When what point when you started doing Kajukembo, you're like, I want to be a black belt. Like, this is something that I want to do. This is something I'm going to keep doing. And this is something I'm never going to stop doing. I know you're kind of hinting towards it right now in your first answer earlier, but I'm just going to clarify it. You can maybe clarify that some more. When did you decide, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to teach. This is part of what I want to be. Um, well, I wanted, I decided like literally that, like I said, that first time um, after the first class, that Kaja Kimball was where I was going to stay. Um. I never really put it in my head like I wanted to be a black belt. I just knew I was always going to train. I was always going to be part of, you know, our Ohana with Professor Ronnie and Sifu Mike and, you know, Sifu Simon, yourself, um, you know, everybody that we've come to train with over the years. And I, that, that was just going to be part of my life. And I just kind of, I took the program, the, the, the promotions as we went along, when professor said, I'm going to test you, I said, okay, you know, but remember too, I hit that point where I got my brown belt, you know, in, in a couple of years. And then I was the gatekeeper of the brown belts, literally like with the exception of Sifu Mike and Sifu Simon and, you know, those black belts before even you, we had to fight for you guys to get like you, you, I basically every, all of Ronnie's professor, Ronnie's black belts from the time I joined, became a Brown belt, had to fight me to get the Brown belt or the black belt. Like literally, you know, <laughs> I had, I had, there's like, um, Adam and, uh, um, you know, um, Sifu Alicia and the, you know, those kids were yellow belts and white belts when I came through and most of them had to fight me to get to their black belt. And I was a black belt for 10 years. I mean, uh, excuse me. I was a Brown belt for 10 years before finally in 2018, professor Ronnie promoted me, which was a complete surprise to me, you know, and that was coming back. That was right after COVID. And we had, uh, we had that big uh, gathering down there at Westside park in your old neighborhood. And, you know, we had guys from all over Washington and Mexico and, uh, you know, the uh, Grandmaster Kenji came down, who, by the way, I have like is just one of them. He's guy. He's one of the guys. He and uh, Grandmaster Gary are just two of the, the most amazing guys that I've ever met. And I will like that's some of the that's also one of the things that I find so amazing about Kaja Campbell or the people I've met, you know, over the years. Um, but yeah, back to my brown belt, I was literally the brown belt that everybody had to fight to get their black belt for 10 years, you know? 
and, so, and, um, and he said, yeah, Professor Roddy, using his new title, he would say, like, you know, you, you got to get through Larry. He's the wrestler. You got you to prove to us that you can get past the wrestler. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Larry. I was the gatekeeper. I was the gate, gatekeeper brown belt for from like 2009 until 2018 <laughs> when I finally got promoted. And then for all my students that are watching this, whenever I talk about the time I fought a wrestler and the wrestlers, I'm talking about Larry and his sons. I'll just say it. Because I got a lot of stories about, about when I, oh, yeah, this one time I was fighting a wrestler and I did this. This one time I was, and I was like, yeah, I'm talking about Larry and his sons. <laughs> just, yeah. But right now, anybody, any of my students are laughing at that statement because a lot of stories just hit them. Yeah. So, so Larry, how did you, what was your black belt test? Because I wasn't there. Um, I was overseas. So, what was your black belt? But well, wow, can't well, get that out. Hold on a second. What was your black belt test like? Well, so my black belt test was never really the test like you guys had to go through, um, and it, which is why it was such a surprise to me, because we had um, you'll remember Professor Ronnie when he got sick with CIDP. Um, I had. I had competed, you know, for many years in Vegas as a brown belt. And in many of those cases, I was in the black belt division. Um, I had placed at many tournaments. I'd won a few times. Um, but I, you know, I was always there. We went to, you know, a few other tournaments. Um, I was still grappling, you know, even when I was almost 60. Uh, and then, uh, Professor Ronnie, it's kind of, it's pretty crazy because, um, in what was it, 2016 or 17 at the Gathering of Champions, um, Professor Angie Abad's tournament, uh, Ronnie and I competed together, um, at that tournament and he took grand champion and weapons. I think I took third place at that tournament and he was competing with a numb foot and uh which we just kind of figured it was a pinched nerve or whatnot um and of course um as everybody that follows professor ronnie and i'm pretty sure the majority of the kaju kembo um the family worldwide has at some point followed uh professor ronnie's journey from that point on he went from, we competed in October, and by February, he was paralyzed from the neck down. Um, and then, of course, it was, you know, they were trying to figure out what was wrong. Once they figured out what was wrong, get him on the treatments. And then once the treatments were working, it was getting him into rehab and getting him, you know, having, he basically had to learn how to eat, how to walk, how to talk, how to, you know, stand. Everybody's like, basically, he was an infant. And he had to learn all that stuff all over again. And he came to me and he said, I need, because as soon as he started his rehab, they were like, he wanted, like he wanted everything done. He wanted it back now and he wasn't going to stop. Um, and he remembered that um, from when I, I had my ACL reconstruction, I was, I was the same way. I'd go into rehab and I would push so hard that I'd be, I'd make, great progresses ahead and then I would fall back because I'd push too hard and then I would have to take time off and then start over again. 
So he came to me and he said, I need somebody that I know can piss me off, but still push me no matter how mad I get. And he said, I need you to start coming with me to rehab. And so I, um, at the time I was, I was working, I worked, uh, I was working nights at Home Depot where we both worked. I was working days at the high school where I coach and where I work with the special needs kids. Um, I basically told them that for the next however long it took, I was going to need Thursdays off. And I proceeded to spend the next two years every third, well, almost every Thursday. Um, and even some Tuesdays, because Ronnie, I believe he went Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I went to all of Ronnie's um, rehabilitation classes or his rehabilitation ses sessions with him. I uh, drove him there. Then when he started getting better, um, I, you know, I, I would push him, then make him drive himself there, even though that was kind of scary there the first few times because he still doesn't have feeling in his feet, but he can move his foot. So I'm like, well, that's good. You, It'll teach you to get to the brake quicker. So, uh, <laughs> so anyway, we spent two and a half, almost three years rehabbing that. And he was, we, we got him from, you know, literally almost dying to the time we had the reunion seminar that we had at Westside Park. Um, and he had, like, like I said, uh, Grandmaster Rick came down. Uh, we had Alfredo Aguirre from Washington. Uh, we had uh, uh, Lou, Ma Ma Lou, Lou Farallon from Washington at the time, rest in peace. Um, he was still around. Uh, we had uh, um, Sifu Francisco came up from Mexico. Uh, it was just an amazing gathering. And unbeknownst to me, he had already set it up that that was going to be my black belt promotion. So the actual test, he, his, his, the way he put it is he has tested like many times over the years. Um, every time I've told him to compete, he's competed. Um, I have won in weapons. I have won in forms. I had won in self-defense. I'd won in fighting. He said, so as far as he was concerned, I'd already done the test. Um, he, so, and then he said, of course, you know, what he did for me, um, which much of it was documented on his Facebook through those two and a half years, he was always posting and most everybody will remember the always improving, um, was he and I basically getting him back, you know, pushing him, getting him back to his feet again. So at that 2018 reunion, like I said, it was, um, was it no 2008? Yeah, it was 2018. And actually it was right before COVID. Um, he wanted to have the thing to, to, for, to welcome himself back because we had him on his feet and he was using a cane by that time. Um, and anyway, he surprised me with a black belt promotion in front of many of the grandmasters and many of the Kodge Kimball royalty from all over, you know, the West Coast, some from the East, you know, from the Midwest, Mexico. It was an amazing thing. And I never expected to get promoted. 
I honestly felt like I would be the black belt forever or that I, I figured I'd be the brown belt forever. So, and since then now I have, you know, I'm now, I, I got my first degree back with you in December. Um, and I will just continue to move forward from there. You know, I was just, someone was just posting this in the Kaja Kimbo training page for anybody watching and wants to, Oh, by the way, this is not the Kaja Kimbo podcast. People have been saying that it's not still still the podcast. I have a lot of Kaja Kimbo guys on here, but, um, so yeah, if you want to check out some stuff, Kaja Kimbo training page. If you're, if you're interested more about Kaja Kimbo, a lot of Kaja Kimbo guys are there. Kaja Kimbo Pitohana page, some places to check out. Um, someone was asking about black belt tests, um, on the page and I feel that there's two types of tests. There's the formal test, like the kind that I had to take where you do a certain, there's like a certain program, certain amount of techniques, certain amount of things you gotta do. But then there's a second type of test that, that I've seen people go through and I've put people through as well, where the person, cause really it's about showing dedication to the art and knowing that because the last thing you want to do as someone who's testing someone is give someone a black belt who's going to stop training. That's like our nightmare. Okay, this person's been training for whatever X amount of years, they're really good. Then they get their black belt and they quit for whatever reason. They stop training for whatever reason. So that's always for us, for us instructors, that's something we're always worried about. Um, so really, if you look at the black, what the black belt's supposed to mean, it's supposed to mean that this is someone that's going to be doing this for the rest of their life. And uh, some people go through a formal test and then some people like you, it's just another day in the office. Yeah. It's not, it's not like, it's not like you were slacking during training, right? There's some people that need that clear goal. And I was saying that like some people need a clear goal, like, Hey, you need to accomplish X, Y, Z to go to the next step. And they need that. But you were, you were at, you were, you were going at hundred miles per hour as a white belt from day one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah from day yeah. one from day one there was never a day you came in you were slacking that was not what's happening ever so like so for you you're you're you fall into that second category i'll say it i'll say it uh, you you fall into that second category guys that every time you came in you were always 100 on the maps there was never a time you were you came in at how old are you larry i know we were calling you old but uh, uh, that was that was back we were calling I, you old. How, that was we were calling you old fifteen years ago. <laughs> well, let's just put it this way: I just turned sixty-three about two weeks ago. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, I think you're, you do you, the math. I'm not going to do yeah, that. You were you were you were getting close to or in your fifties, if, yeah. if I if I if I if I if I remember correctly. You were up there in your forties. I remember every time I'd spar you. Uh, since I already got before you came in. It was a little before you came in. Were you there when I uh, when I broke that guy's nose? And I'm not going to mention his name. <laughs> so that isn't uh, Were you the there guy, when I broke that guy's nose? When I gave him uh, a compound fracture the, and his bone that, was sticking out? Uh, you, you, the guy, my, you know, um, Bob? Ah, that's his name! Kudos to Bob. <laughs> Shout out to Bob. Sorry, Bob. Sorry to avoid. Yeah, I was there for that one. Okay, so if you were there for that, it was a little before that happened that um, that Sifu was always warning me, professor now, about excessive contact. He was like, "You're, I know you can fight. Um, I want you to show me control. So most of, a lot of my tests were not based on how hard I could go. It was how much, how hard could you go without hurting the person that you're sparring with? And that every time I'd spar with you, he'd always be like, 
you still need... <laughs> well, he was always be, telling us this both that. Be, this is going to be tricky. Yeah, he was always telling us both because you'd come in. He'd tell me, go light. And then you'd come in with an overhand pat. Like, go light. <laughs> yeah, no, go there light. was no... Yeah, it was like, <laughs> you know, I figured, hey, I didn't break your bones, so I, that was light. <laughs> and it's still to that day, like, they're, they're always telling everybody... When we just texted, when we, when we tested Alexis, um, and she, I was the first one she had to fight, and Adria pulled her aside, um, Seabach, Adria pulled her aside and said, um, she goes, don't worry, you're getting the hardest one first, so you get through him and the rest is easy. <laughs> so, <laughs> because they always say, like, I always feel like I hold back a little bit, but they always say it's like, God, you're always going so hard. You know, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like, so, um, I'm, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you, you know, you're kind of a, a two gear guy. The one gear guy is what Hackleman calls him, like a, a one gear guy. You got one gear, yeah, and fast that's go, and that's go, yeah, <laughs> that's go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Well, brother, we are getting toward the end of the podcast. Um, before we wrap up, though, I just want to thank you very much for coming on the show. Um, he's your family and i'm fine i'm glad you finally came out here and for those of you who enjoyed the show i'm gonna have larry come back i've been wanting larry to come out here for a while now but he's a busy guy coaching wrestling uh teaching kajakembo classes you know taking care of your family so i i get it um but i do want to have larry come back so we could talk so for those of you that enjoyed the the grappling section i'd love to have him come back and talk about really go into a deep dive in in grappling and wrestling um i'd love to do that because this was kind of like i feel I feel like after seeing some of your podcasts, I feel like we just kind of went down memory lane, <laughs> yeah, which was exactly. cool. Like, you know, well, but <laughs> well, I, I love, I love doing that though. So that now anybody who in the future, when we do go into a topic, if we do just a topic, if they're like, who's this guy? I'll always refer. Hey, you can find out who he is. If you watch this episode, right. This, right. this episode's about Larry Gordon, how you got into Kajakembo and how you mixed it up. And um, and I can attest, he he did, he mixed it up, and congratulations again on your on both promotions. Uh, the second one I was there, but the first one I wasn't. So congratulations, right? On that. Um, Thank you very much. Any, is there any shout outs, any promotional stuff you want to say before we go? Uh, I'm just I'm gonna make it um, just an in general um, to our entire Kajikembo Ahana. I mean, I I appreciate. And am thankful for everybody I've met in my journey. Um, you know, I've got I've got a lot of people that I've met through wrestling, but I honestly, my Kaju Kembo Ahana with all of you and everybody that we've you know that I've met over the years is just an amazing. You know, my life is so much richer since Kaju Kembo, and I just want to shout out to anybody and everybody that I've ever met, and to those that I haven't. You know, because even if we haven't met them, I mean, they're still all part of our Ohana. So it's an amazing part to be. It's it's an amazing something to be part of. Well, with that being said, this is the Social Jello with Angelo podcast. Subscribe and share with your friends, especially if you're Kaju Kembo and you like what you heard. Share with your friends. This is not the Kaju Kembo podcast. I'll keep saying that. Although people don't believe me anymore when I say that. Yeah, but um, yeah, if you like what you saw, share with your friends. And um, I try to release at least two, two to three of these a month. Um, lately, it's been every week, but I always make a disclaimer. It's supposed to be one a month. 
Um, it's just I've been recording more than usual. All right. Catch you all next time. Wow. Well.